I want to begin uh, this morning by asking you a question. Um, What is it about you that people would say you as an apple did not fall that far from the tree of your family or of your parents? You know what I mean? Like the people who know you well, who know your parents well, who know your family well, what are the things about you that people look at and go, oh, you know, that makes perfect sense that you came from your parents or, oh, you're such a Smith or, you know, you know what I mean? Like the ways in which we just radiate the kind of people that our families or our parents were. Krista and I, I talk about this kind of stuff all the time, as I'm sure uh, other couples and good friends do in the ways that we see, oh, you know what? You're the only reason you respond like that is because you grow up in this home like this and your parents, you know, by DNA and by discipline, you ended up learning to react that way in this circumstance. And it's sort of, you know, one step shy of saying you're just like your mother, which I would recommend nobody ever say, um, but you, you know what I'm saying? But lately, we've been talking about it more um, from a, a proactive side. We, we remembered a little while ago a conversation we had with friends years, years ago who challenged us, what three words would you use to describe the kind of family you want your family to be? Right? So when your kids are old and grown and they look back and say, I turned out this way because of the kind of family I came from, by nature and by nurture, what are the kinds of words you would want them to use? And so we, on our last vacation, we had this conversation for quite a while with our kids and whatever. And what we came up with was this. This was the sentence we came up with. In our family, we pursue joy by being adventurous, grateful, and kind. We thought that's That's who we want to raise our kids to be. Kids that pursue joy through being adventurous. The kinds of kids who say yes instead of no. The kinds of kids who try new things. The kinds of kids who lean into their bravery even when they're afraid in order to not back down from a challenge. We want kids who are adventurous. For us, the camping is a big part of that. Um, We want kids who are grateful. Not kids who are entitled, not kids who are demanding, not kids who take things for granted, but we want our kids to recognize that every good thing is a gift that comes from God and to be grateful to God and to grateful for the people around them and, and almost in a, you know, in a worship and praise God for how good he has been because God has been good to all of us. And we want our kids to be kind, to take the goodness and love with which God has poured God's self out on us and to pour that same goodness and love out on all the people around us all the time. We pursue joy through being adventurous, grateful, and kind. And I love the exercise because it is of course true that there is no more formative influence in anybody's life than the family that they come from. Both, like I say, by nature and by nurture, we are who we are in many ways precisely because of the family in which we were raised or the family where we came from. And to me, as I was thinking about that this week, I, think, I, th- I began to think there was a lot of similarity between that and our life of faith. Right? We've been talking in this series about refreshing faith. So the idea is if you're new to the whole journey of faith and so on, that 
we are hopefully presenting a refreshing version of faith. If you have been a veteran of faith for a long time, hopefully we're just refreshing your understanding of what faith is all about. But we started three weeks ago by talking that a life of faith begins with a posture of seeking. A posture that wants to experience and know and encounter the presence of God in everything. That is that walks around with the antenna up, tuned in to try to discover the presence of God. And that, that posture of seeking, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, has to end in a commitment to believing. And to putting your faith, putting your trust in what the Bible says about God and his love for us. That the Bible says about Jesus and Jesus' life and death and resurrection. What the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and the life of the church and so on. That we come to a place where we say, I'm willing to bet my life on the fact that these things are true. And then last week, Jeff talked about how that commitment to believing results in a public profession of faith, and in particular through the act of baptism, this sort of embodied, symbolic way to announce your commitment that from now on your life belongs exclusively to Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, that can sound like that's the end of the story about what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. I was seeking and I came to believe and I announced my belief through the act of baptism, but that is not the end of the story. Jeff read this passage to us last week, and it describes kind of the series, the way we've been going through it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, those who were seeking, who accepted or believed Peter's message about Jesus, were baptized. Week 1, 2, 3, those who were seeking, believed the message, and were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. That those who were seeking came to believe and professed that belief through the act of baptism. And then one more thing happened. They were added to the number. What, what was the number they were added to? They were added to the number of people in the church. They were added to the community of faith that had come together in unity through their shared commitment to following Jesus Christ. That a, light, a posture of seeking that leads to believing in a profession of faith in baptism is not the end of the story. Baptism isn't just how you declare your faith. It is literally how you sign up to join the church. In any biblical understanding of faith, baptism is how a person enters the community of faith formally. Being a part of a church according to the Bible, is not an optional extra to faith. It is an essential, integral element of what it means to live a life of following Jesus Christ. Now, that is not often how we think about being part of a church. About 300 years ago, back when, you know, entire cultures were Christian and everybody went to church and everybody did the routines every single week, Sunday and even more often, whatever. The church rediscovered the power and the beauty and the importance of people making an individual and personal commitment to Jesus Christ. It's not enough uh, to be a churchian. I have to, in faith, make the personal decision to put my faith in Jesus Christ as an individual, as a person, and I accept that faith for me. And it's this, it's this the power and the importance and the beauty of a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and that was kind of rediscovered 300 years ago. And since that time, the pendulum has swung way over to the other side. 
where now people talk about faith and say, well, my faith has nothing to do with the church. My faith is between God and me. My faith is a private matter. And the Bible doesn't understand anything about a Christian faith that is a private matter. A personal matter, for sure. A private matter, never. Um, As far as the Bible understands what it means to become and be a follower of Jesus Christ, participating in the life of the community is not optional. Last week, this is maybe a helpful way to illustrate what I mean. Last week, Jeff used the analogy of a a marriage proposal uh, that... When you utter with the public profession of, yes, I will marry you, or I do at the altar, you, by that profession of reality, you, your profession, uh, you change your entire reality. Well, one of the things, once you've made that profession, one of the things that every couple talks about is, how do we navigate now our relationship with our in-laws? Uh, because when you make a commitment to an individual, You're picking that person, but what you get as a part of the package is this whole family of in-laws that you didn't choose. And you kind of, as a couple, you have to navigate what that's going to mean. How often are we going to visit? Are we going to go just for holidays? Are we going to go for lunch every Sunday? Who are we close to? Are we not close to? How are we going to make space and time for being together? And all of those kinds of relationships and people sort of sort out what the relationship with their in-laws looks like for them. And then we treat the church kind of the same way. Right? I put my faith in Jesus, but now I got to figure a relationship with this whole community that comes along with that. And, and so for a lot of people, when the church is meeting my needs, when I'm getting something out of it, when it's doing good stuff for me, then okay, I'll be a part of it. But if I'm not getting anything out of it, or you know, it's not being, you know, it's not what I need at this moment in time, then I'm just, you know, I'm just going to choose to distance myself a little bit. And the Bible would say a life of faith is not like figuring out your relationship with your in-laws. The Bible would say the, the life of faith is not like signing up for a sports team. I've fallen in love with this sport. I want to participate, so I sign on the registration form. And what I've signed up for is to be a part of a team. There is no saying, well, if I, if I think I'll start, then maybe I'll go. Or if the practice isn't too early and I'm not too tired, maybe I'll show up. No, no, you signed up for a team. What you actually signed up for is to be a part of this community and to participate in the life of the team. That's the decision you made. The Bible would say, just like we talked about two weeks ago when we talked about the creed, the whole last part of the creed is I believe in the Holy Spirit and then everything else is about the church. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. God, Jesus, God came in the form of Jesus, lived, died, and was raised from the dead and ascended back to heaven. And he sent the Holy Spirit to start the church. That's what God is doing. And we join the church one by one as we make an individual decision to put our faith in Jesus Christ. But the decision we're making is to follow Jesus Christ by joining the church. That's, that's what this does. Because it's in the church that we encounter the presence of Jesus. In Matthew 18, Jesus himself says this, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Now you can, you can meet Jesus in nature. You can meet Jesus in music. You can meet Jesus on the golf course, probably depending on what your score is. But, but Jesus, the one place Jesus promises that he will always be is he will always be with the community that gathers together in unity in their shared faith in him. Now, when we gather in the community, we discover the presence of Jesus in each other. 
We hear and see the life of Jesus modeled and spoken in love by each other. This is where we encounter Jesus. It's why uh, an early church father, a guy by the name of Cyprian, said, no one can have God for their father who does not have the church for their mother. And as much as God is the one who is rescuing us through Jesus, God is rescuing us through our participation in the church by the Holy Spirit. No one can have God as a father who doesn't have the church as a mother. Um, And so the question is, what does it mean to participate in the community? For us, and this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning, being a part of the church means two things. The first is this. We participate in the church relationally as a member of the family of God. That's the first thing. That when we become a part of the church through baptism, we participate relationally as a member of the family of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but members of God's household. Those are powerful words, foreigners and strangers. The word foreigner in the Greek language in which the the second half of the Bible was originally written is literally immigrant You're not from around here. You don't belong. You're not a part of us. You're not one of us. You're not a part of our tribe. You're not like us. That's what it means to be a foreigner. And I wonder how many people in the community, in the church, feel like that when we gather. I'm not like these people. I'm not a part of their tribe. I don't belong here. I'm not one of them. The other word is the word strangers in the Greek language. Literally, the word means just to live beside. It's to be a neighbor. And I love my neighbors, but my neighbors are not family. I have a neighbor on one side, 70-year-old, you know, grizzled man from the Czech Republic. He's been teaching martial arts for 45 years. I love Tomas. Tomas found out a little while ago that I am a pastor and now he is concerned that I am not going to be tough enough to appropriately screen potential boyfriends for my daughters. And so Tomas, because he's afraid I'm too nice. So Tomas has kindly offered to do the first line of screening for me. He's told me that this week again. He says, listen, he says, I will sit on your porch. With my long-handled axe, my baseball bat, a martial arts weapon, whatever you like. He says, but I will greet the young men as they approach the house. And I'll ask them, what is your business here? And they'll say, well, I'm here to see one of the Kraus girls. And I will look at them and say, perhaps if you turn your hat to the front and pull your pants all the way up, we can begin to have a conversation about why you're not good enough for any of these Kraus girls. He's... Tomas is an incredible guy, but he's not a part of my family. When my family sits down to eat together, he's not there. He lives beside. And I wonder how many people feel like that in the community. They're here. They're in our midst. They're in relationship. They interact. But you don't totally feel like you're allowed to be one of us. You feel like you are being forced to live beside the community instead of being a part of it. Apostle Paul says, when you enter into the church, you're not an immigrant into the community. You're not a neighbor. It's not like you're beside. 
what you are is a part of the family. He says you're a member of God's household. You are intimately connected in that moment of faith, not just to God through Jesus Christ, but you are intimately connected to the entire community of faith that shares your faith in Jesus Christ. They become, de facto, they become your family. Jeff said this last week, that they almost a more important family than your actual family. In some ways, parts of the Bible, Jesus says that. That these people in this room with you right now, these are your brothers and sisters. Somebody said to me last week, I miss the language that we used to use where we would call each other brother Mike and sister Krista. And nobody talks like that anymore because nobody talks like that anymore. But my actual, my flesh and bread brother does. My, my two brothers and I, we use the word brother a lot. You know, hey, brother, love you, brother. Good to see you, brother. We, we use, but my older brother is very intentional that every time he sees one of his sisters-in-law, he will say to them, how are you, sister? I love you, sister. As just this subtle way of reminding everybody, there, are, there is no us and them. There's only family here. And that's the biblical vision of what it means to participate, to belong to the church. Is that we're actually just family. Now it's hard to feel that when we gather together in such a big group on a Sunday morning. When you're in a room with hundreds of people in such a big family reunion. You know, it's easy actually to feel alone. Um, it's easy to feel alienated. And I get it. Jesus didn't say wherever two or three hundred are gathered, there I am. <laughs> I mean, obviously Jesus is here with us, but I think Jesus was intentional to say where two or three are gathered. Especially when there's intimacy, especially when there's closeness. The, the presence of Christ can be palpable. Which is why in our community, this environment where we all gather together, this isn't the way that we try to feel the family together. Uh, it's through something we call life groups. where groups of six or eight or 10 or 12 people meet regularly together and actually get to know each other. You're known and you get to be known and know each other. To be in group together and enter into each other's lives. To lovingly speak the truth to each other about yourself and about each other and about God and about life and the world. And it's where we grow together in our life and in our love for Jesus Christ. It's where we become family. And if you've never been or are not a part of a life group, I urge you to find that place of connection again. Now, I get if you have been a part of a life group, you're sitting there and saying it's, it's not always as nice and romantic as that. And I, and I know that because just like family, the community of faith is filled not just with people that you get along with. Well, it's filled with people who irritate you and people who are awkward, people with whom you vehemently disagree, people you find arrogant and self-righteous or people who you find self-deprecating in a in an off-putting kind of a way. I mean, everybody loves being in relationship with lovely people, but the problem with the church is that from the beginning, it wasn't the place for lovely people. It was a place for the oddballs and the misfits and those who are left out and left behind. And those are the folks that we join together with and say, I'm one of those two. Can we be family? 
And this is the challenge from a woman named Tish Harrison Warren, who wrote a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. She says this, God loves and delights in the people in the pews around me, even the ones that I don't delight in. And God dares me to, God dares me to find beauty in them. To love God's people on earth is to see Christ in them to live among them, to receive together word and sacrament, just as we already did this morning, uh, receiving the Lord's Supper together and now hearing from the word, to do that together as family, to profess your faith in baptism, your trust that you've put in Jesus Christ, say my whole life belongs to God, is to say I'm now choosing to join this family and to be family together with the community. That's the first way we participate. The second way, it's not just we participate relationally as members of the family of God, we participate vocationally as members of the body of Christ. In the same letter where the apostle Paul talks about being family, in Ephesians chapter four, this is what he writes. I'll walk through this slowly, but he says, so Christ himself gave to the church. Now he's talking about the church more as an organization than a family. He says, Christ himself gave to the church leaders, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why did Jesus give the leaders to the church? To equip God's people for works of service. They could serve each other. And what would happen if they did? So that the body of Christ may be built up until... Excuse me. We all reach unity in the faith. We're all united by this shared faith in Jesus that we have. We're unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We get to know Jesus better. And we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The Apostle Paul changes the metaphor in this passage. And instead, before he said the the church is kind of like the family of God. Now he says the church is like the body of Christ. In other words, the church is the tangible, visible, physical presence of Jesus in the world. In such a way that when you go back and you read the stories about Jesus, the things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did, the kind of person that Jesus was, when you look at what Jesus was like, and then you take a look at the church, you say of the community, this is exactly what I always thought Jesus was like. This community acts and behaves in exactly the same ways that I see Jesus behaving in the stories about Jesus. The church is the ongoing physical presence of Jesus in the world. Now I know that the church doesn't always act like the ongoing physical presence of Jesus in the world. I know that. And so do you. Um, The church is divisive sometimes and fractured. The church fights with itself and with each other in public sometimes, humiliates uh, Jesus, I would think. The church sometimes oppresses people, um, sometimes uses, misuses, and abuses power. The church is sometimes guilty of violence against indigenous people and others. The church relationally hurts people with hypocrisy and judgment. 
And you've experienced it and I've experienced it. So before we all start going and pointing fingers at the people in the church who've hurt us, the reason the church is so filled with sin and brokenness is because it's filled with people like me who are filled with sin and brokenness. I have brought sin and brokenness into the community and so have you. But here's the beautiful thing about that image of the body of Christ, of the church growing to become like Jesus, to be the physical, visible, tangible presence of Jesus in the world so that people would look at the church and say, that's exactly what I always thought Jesus would be like. The Bible says that as we participate, as we cooperate, as we collaborate with each other to be that, we grow into what God has always imagined the church would be. This is what the the letter says a few verses later. He says, from Jesus Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part or member does its work. The letter, the the Bible says, this is what God is doing in the church through Jesus Christ who holds the whole thing together. We are held together by our shared commitment to Jesus Christ, by the, the life of Jesus that lives within us by the Holy Spirit. That's what holds us together. And we're growing and being strengthened in our love for God and for each other and for the world. But in order for that to happen, it says each part of the body has to do its work. We need every part of the body of Christ contributing and collaborating and cooperating with all the other parts of the body in order to become the thing that Jesus has meant for us to become. Um, Just like your own body, when there are parts of the body that stop functioning the way that they're supposed to, your body can no longer be what it was created to be. It changes who you are as a person. It changes the way you function. And so the plea is not just that in professing our faith in baptism, that we would join together, you know, with each other as members of the family, but that we would join together as collaborators and cooperators as those who are bringing the uniqueness of what makes us us to the community and saying, how can I participate in a way that helps us become everything that God has created? It is actually your uniqueness, the unique giftedness, the unique personality, the uniqueness of what makes you you. That means that you have a contribution to make that no one else in the entire community can make. Only you can help us be more like Jesus in that way. And so we need everyone's help to help everyone because your difference makes the difference. And so we need all of us to be participating in the body of Christ with our time. Not viewing church as something we do one hour a week or something we kind of interact with here and there. But as a community, we're a part of 168 hours every single week. We need people contributing with their treasures. 
contributing financially so that we can continue to do and to be what Jesus was and did in the world, especially with the parts that sometimes cost money. We need everybody saying, I'm into this and I'm into it with my wallet even. We need everybody contributing with their talents, with the unique giftedness that God has put in you to say, I'm here, put me to work. Let me be the person God has created me to be so that all of us together can grow and be strengthened in our love and become increasingly the tangible, visible, physical presence of Jesus in a world that so desperately needs to experience the presence of Jesus. That's what it means to participate. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. Instead of closing with a closing song, we're going to invite everybody to commit to being a part of the community. Maybe for you that means you have professed, you have um, put your trust in Jesus Christ, but you have never professed a faith in Jesus Christ through the act of baptism. And I just want to remind you, we said it last week, and on Thanksgiving Sunday, October 13, we want to celebrate Thanksgiving by celebrating as many lives being given to Jesus Christ as humanly possible, which means that if you have put your trust in Jesus, but you've never professed that through the act of baptism, pull out your phone right now and email baptism at southridgechurch.ca and say, I need to talk to somebody about Thanksgiving's baptism. You're not committing to do it, but here's the thing. There are lots of people in our community who put their faith in Jesus and who've never been baptized. And now is the moment to say, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm saying publicly, my life belongs to Jesus. Get me in the baptism tank and thanks, at Thanksgiving. Baptism at southridgechurch.ca. Email now and say, can we talk about this? But what else, what we're going to do right now is there are staff and leaders from every location going to come to the stage and we're just going to invite you to consider the ways in which God is inviting you to participate as a member in our community. So as they come to the stage, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you gave us your love. Thank you that you gave us Jesus who lived and died and was raised so that our lives could be different, so we could be rescued from our own sin and brokenness. And thank you, God, that you gave us each other in the church. Thank you that you've given us this family, these brothers and sisters. Thank you that you have given us this community that is working together to be the presence of Jesus, strengthened and growing in love, to be the presence of Jesus in the world. Would you help us to become and to be everything you imagined us to be as we all commit to being it together? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.